human behavior in relation to the built environment, which just means that uh, we analyze the way human beings uh, live, work, and play in cities and how that process is structured by the infrastructure of the, of the, of the built environment. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. The voice you heard just before in the introduction, that was Femi. He comes to us from a a company called City78, and like he said, they analyze how people live, work, and play in cities. But they do this in a really interesting way. They use data from the built environment that we're all used to, maybe data you'd get from something like OpenStreetMap, but they also use our online footprint. It's a really interesting story, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome along to the show, Femi. Really glad you could uh, take the time to join me today and talk a little bit about the work that you're doing at City78. Now, on your website, you've got some really great marketing words there, and it says City78 distills consumer behavior and place identity. Uh, we need some background here. Can you give us a little bit of background first about yourself and then what it is that City78 is doing? Oh, yeah, by all means. First of all, thanks for having me. It's, it's uh, great to be on your on your show. Uh, so a little background on myself. Um, I'm a geospatial analyst at the same time, an urban planner, you know, which is a sort of a, a weird mix for some people. But for me and, um, you know, what I set out to achieve in terms of city planning, um, geospatial analysis is the tool that I use. Um, For City78, we study human behavior in relation to the built environment, which just means that uh, we analyze the way human beings uh, live, work, and play in cities and how that process is structured by the infrastructure of the of the, of the built environment uh, that is buildings, you know, roads and uh, other elements that make up cities and that make up the urban environment. And through that process, we try to define quality of life and uh, the potential of cities to foster economic developments. Um, through getting to the details of that interaction between people and place, uh, human beings and buildings this sounds like the holy grail for any geographer and before we jump into the questions here i just want to say that having a background in geospatial and being involved in urban planning that seems like an absolute perfect mix to me oh thank you (laughs) it sounds like a a really good thing to you know a, a really good background if you're going to do urban planning to me anyway right okay so we're we've got this problem that we're trying to solve uh we need some data what kind of data are we using to do this Oh well, first of all, um, there there are always always two levels uh, to the analysis. Of course, you you have the um, traditional data in terms of uh, you know population data uh, on the human side of things. Uh, um, I'll say you have the population data. You have data regarding the location of buildings, uh, infrastructure, and and so on and so forth, you know, where airports are, where roads are, where bus stops are. Um, that data more or less exists 
sets us apart in in our work, or at least for me, what where where I find that intersection between urban planning and geospatial analysis is figuring out data about human beings in terms of I like to call it the 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 DNA of uh, the c- city uh, resident in terms of how they actually consume space, and by space here I mean just you know the urban environment and you know. Uh, residential buildings or commercial offerings, Starbucks and uh, CVSs, you know, how do people consume those spaces? You know, what well, first, first of all, what brings them to a certain uh, neighborhood or a community? Why do they stay there? Uh, why do they purchase certain goods from certain locations? And figuring out that data is more or less, more or less a survey, right? Uh, so previous uh, systems of previous approaches will have people actually go out and uh, survey uh, human interaction with the built environment, you know, maybe sit down at a corner and count people, you know, count how many people crossed an intersection or just observe what people do. Do they sit down at park benches that are part of the park infrastructure or do they go past it? And, you know, people record all of that. Um, but that's another level. Um, to the analysis in terms of the fact that people now use mobile phones. You know, we're in a we're in a society. Uh, we're, we're in this, this stage of the evolution of technology that everyone has a, a mobile phone is almost a an essential com- commodity now. It's almost like a body part. Um, so that just sort of blows open uh, the sample size in terms of uh, conducting those similar surveys to understand. Uh, that interaction between human and space, uh, between human and, and their built environments by plugging in into platforms where people actually drop comments or live uh, reactions that can be geocoded or that can be literally tagged to particular locations. Uh, so for instance, if I was waiting for a bus at a bus stop and the bus came late and I I went on my uh, use my phone, maybe Google to to just you know leave a comment that this bus always comes here late, and um, that is that that's a that is a comment that's publicly posted. It's like you're contributing to the to the urban realm uh, through a virtual connection or virtual a virtual coffee house, if you will. You're just living your your reaction about the experience of you know that that point in that time, and people like us can now go in and use your contributions, evaluate the performance of space or the performance of a particular location. So when you mix that with like traditional data, uh, you know, census and you know, the tra- traditional uh, data and information already available, it starts to give you a, a more wholesome picture about uh, the performance of space. Firstly, I just want to say I love the fact that you're so positive about that. Somebody's sitting in a bus stop complaining and, and you're <laughs> viewing this as a contribution to, to the urban environment and, and a way of enriching the urban environment. And I guess in terms of your work, it is. They're, they're leaving that digital footprint out mm. there in the world and someone can come along and say, okay, well, this emotion, this feeling, that this sentence, this is attached to this space here in the world. And then you can start to make some assumptions based yep. on that. Uh, but it sounds like a, it sounds like a really difficult problem to solve. This, like, I understand that we can we we have great access now to built to the built environment in terms of data, anyway. But this other side, what we do in that environment, which is the important thing, our interactions, I think, anyway, that that's a really important thing. Uh, how do we how do we measure that? 
And I think here, again, the holy grail is perhaps the, the mobile phone that we all have with us all the time. And then people leaving these comments out there in the world. But I'm assuming that that, that doesn't make it a completely easy process, even though we, we have access to some of this data. I mean, it has to come from different data sources, I'd imagine. There must be a fair bit of, of filtering of this data that goes on. Can you, can you talk us through that process? Oh yeah, by all means, uh, and it's it's a, I think it's a general problem. Uh, so it's a gift and a curse because uh, we have we have new data sources and every day data has been generated. I'll give you an example. You know when buses run through, uh, this is a bus example again. It's like I love buses, <laughs> but when buses run through, uh, you know bus stops. There's actually a spreadsheet that gets generated by each bus. You know, it got here this time, it left at this time, and it populates every day. So at the end of the day, in a city that has, say, 2,000 bus stop locations, they have this humongous amount of data for just one day generated by just bus circulations. So we have so much data being generated, the, that's not a problem uh, these days. The problem is how do you convert that data into information that sort of speaks to actionable goals and actually solves problems. So the same problem uh, is what you will find in terms of uh, analyzing sentiments or analyzing um, comments that people drop uh, and post on public platforms or you know whatever, even even send in through structured surveys. How do you now? How do you take that data and turn it into information and turn it into neighborhood perceptions that actually pinpoint? problems that the neighborhoods have and help in formulating solutions uh, to those problems. What we do is, this is where we plug in another another level or another layer of analysis. And we use natural language processing to actually analyze those sentences, uh, those phrases that people live on public platforms. And it turns um, you know, that analysis into sentiments and scores them to be negative or positive. So if I say, uh, using the bus example and the bus stop example again, if I actually said, this bus stop is so efficient, it's so close to my house, and because of this, um, I'm able to commute easily and, and get to my locations on time. Um, that will actually be analyzed to be positive, first of all, but not just positive, it now breaks it down into into topics because in that in that sentence I mentioned closeness to residents. I mentioned efficient transportation. I mentioned it helps me, you know, get to my location on time. So it now breaks it down to those topics and analyzes uh, my sentiment and scores each topic to be negative or positive. Uh, so just imagine at that level uh, blowing up the sample size to say. 500,000 people uh, and you start to get these topics that correspond uh, topics that you can actually now base action on or plan uh, towards in terms of uh, those that highlight certain problems in the urban uh, neighborhood or those that pose uh, certain solutions or opportunities, if you will. This is really cool because I think that uh, so, so we've talked a little bit about that built environment, of course, we understand where we get data from. And now, thanks to you, we, we understand a lot more about how we convert our digital footprint, the, the things we're saying on the internet and geotagging into actually in, into data that we can use. I can I can see a few challenges around using natural language, for yeah. example. 
um, like sarcasm. That would be a difficult thing to to code, I imagine. You know, oh, great, the bus is always late again. You know, like, <laughs> that, that, that might be, yeah. that, that, that could create some problems. But but that's that's a part of us. That's what humans mm-hmm. do. They're emotional and they like to make fun and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I really like this, and I wonder sometimes if the the good people at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram realize that when they allow geotagging that that people like you were going to come up and come along and collect this data and turn our cities into better places based upon it yeah i don't think they do um i mean before i before i started doing this uh i didn't think a thing about uh you know tagging my uh, my posts uh put into location before i send it and it was speaking to that right every time i uh I sent out certain posts with, you know, a location using social media. It was never about an urban problem. It was always that, you know, I'm having fun here or this is happening here. Um, very rarely do I, you know, take a picture of a pothole uh, and tweet it and add a location. Yeah. So uh, speaking to that, we, we don't necessarily use a lot of social media uh in our analysis uh you know facebook twitter or or instagram this is something we could do probably for for events tracking so if you want to track uh maybe a protest or a cultural event or you know a, a festival yeah that might be a that might be a good uh those might be good platforms to to analyze but the problem we find is that most posts, most social media interaction are not necessarily tagged to a location. They might just be tagged to a general area. Say, I'm tweeting from Boston. You know, I could probably know from your profile that you are in Boston and, you know, you're most likely uh, sending your tweets um, that have certain topics from, from, you know, that general area. Now, that poses a problem for us because, the way we've designed our approach, we've designed it to be able to operate at a neighborhood level where you can analyze two or three blocks within the neighborhood and from there pinpoint, um, you know, the problems that actually happen. And it's, it's like it's participatory planning is what we call it. And it poses a problem if you cannot actually um, sort of interact with the, the residents of, of, of the built environment at that intimate level of two neighborhoods or even, you know, three or four blocks or two blocks. And for that's why that's why we don't necessarily uh, use a whole lot of social media analysis in, in our process. Um, but in terms of uh, platforms like, say, say Google, for instance, it's more uh, all-encompassing um, because almost every address is... Registered on Google, you you find bus stops, you find parks, you know, you find it just ranges. You find metro stations on on Google. Like people actually live comments in places that you will least expect. Uh, so that's why we sort of lean towards uh, platforms that have a more robust data set than uh, others that you know don't necessarily do. Yeah, but it's, it it sounds like you could you could go either way here. It sounds like, well, I should say, it sounds like it depends on the problem you're trying to solve. Like you said before, if it was a, a social event, if it was a festival, maybe social media was the way to go. If it's more and like what are people doing in their everyday lives, perhaps Google's the the source. But, but but I think this is the case regardless of what problems we're trying to solve in terms of geospatial data. I mean, we're always going to be dragging in lots of different sources depending on the problem. 
Okay, so we're, we're, we've got our data and we understand how to filter it and we understand how it's going to be linked together, in this case, spatially. Uh, what problems can we solve with this data? What, what would be some of the use cases for this for this uh, process that you've, you've built? Yeah, um, a perfect example would be for neighborhoods um, trying to reestablish their, their um, economic potential. Uh, so neighborhoods that might be uh, suffering from high vacancy rates, for instance, in terms of both businesses and and even residents, or just neighborhoods looking to, to brand themselves a, a certain way. There's this uh, problem. I, I feel there's this problem with, with urban development now that everyone is, you know, just building the same same kind of neighborhoods that just replicating the same structures, the same level of uh, of development. That, that poses a problem where neighborhoods are no longer distinct. You know, you drive through two or three neighborhoods and they look the same. They have the same high rises. They have the same retail stores, you know, the Starbucks. It's like, it's like you're driving through the same place over and over again. And for, for urban residents, people strive for uh, this thing that, that Kevin Lynch calls apparency. You want to, you want to have, uh, elements within the built environment that makes you remember certain 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 uh, locations or certain storefronts, and urban areas start to lose that attributes when the same you know structures or the same urban design gets replicated over and over again. But this would help people, you know, this this approach helps people actually hone in on what might be unique about their environment. So, for instance, if we run our analysis and you find people talking about a, a, a particular crap shop that has been in the neighborhood for years and, you know, they've been going there and you, you find uh, a high volume of people talking positively about having repeat visits or they've been here for years and there's history in this place. Guess what? You might want to keep that crap shop when you're redeveloping or you might just want to build out your whole neighborhood brand around you know, that element or two or three other elements that you find um, that, that speak to the neighborhood history or at least that, that builds in this, a particular uh, identity into, into the neighborhood. Um, that way your neighborhood will be different. You can, you can set your neighborhood up for a, as a unique place. And what we've found is that unique places um, actually perform better or are are set up better to be in competition with you know other neighborhoods or in other cities um in the fights for attraction of international offices or more retail or residents or just making people come there over and over again so that will be that'll be one application of our approach the other one is just the general getting the pulse of your of your neighborhood or of your city for instance and being able to pinpoint problems uh quickly if people are talking constantly about an intersection that makes them feel unsafe guess what you might want to look into it and, and figure out if uh, what they mean by them feeling unsafe is is about how, how it's not designed for pedestrians or maybe it's not well lit and when they walk through there at night they you know maybe maybe they feel they'll, they'll get robbed or they feel for for their safety or whatever the case might may be and you know it just ranges depending on all those topics and we actually have uh what we call the the neighborhood performance index that that scores those after scoring those topics it aggregates it and 
sort of places it on this index, on this scale to to define topics that pose at, as threats for the neighborhoods, topics that pose as opportunities um, for the neighborhoods, and you know, topics that serve as strengths and those that might be weaknesses in that way. You know, uh, place managers or city uh, city councils and, and counties can actually use that to sort of track neighborhood performance and you know pinpoint uh, locations of interest that are sort of spoken through topics. So you you said some really 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 interesting things there, and two of the things that really stood out for me was was firstly this idea of branding space of branding neighborhoods and i find it really interesting that that marketing is uh, leads the way in so many so many things and in terms of technology anyway like a new tool it becomes available to the market yeah. and marketers are on it you know because <laughs> they know from experience if i can figure out how to use this i have a huge advantage in terms of the businesses that, that i'm representing but here you're talking about branding space and you're talking about people's identity and and you're doing it in a way that suggests that there's competition between these neighborhoods or, or cities and, and there is i so there's nothing wrong with that but i just think it's a really interesting concept it's something that i hadn't really thought deeply yeah. about before and, and the other one that that i really noticed was you talked about um being proactive so this is an opportunity for uh, organizations that have a stake in the city to be proactive instead of just mm-hmm. waiting for the crime statistics to tell them, hey, we should do something with, with this neighborhood here. We should look at this alleyway uh, or you know, we're waiting for the police reports to say, hey, there's always accidents at this corner here. Here's an opportunity to be proactive and go in and say, hey, look, we can see people are complaining about this, that they don't feel safe. They uh, you know, they're scared, they're, they're whatever. There's negative sentiment about this area. Let's go in, be proactive, and have a look at it, and see if we can we can solve it before we have to be the 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 ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Yeah, that that is spot on. It, it's taking the John Snow approach, but not now waiting for the tragedy to happen. Um, you know, being proactive, not waiting for the neighborhood to break or uh, the problems to happen before you're now going to solve it. Because you know, most times. When those problems happen, either involves, uh, you know, uh, it's at the detriment of, of either human human life or uh, the quality of human life or even urban investment. So you don't want to wait until, you know, a neighborhood, uh, you know, become, you know, blight takes over the neighborhood or people just vacate a neighborhood before you now start to define the problem and try to figure out uh, approaches of solving the problem. You want to know from the bat, uh, from the get go, that all right, that we might have certain threats to this, uh, to this area, to this neighborhood, and you know, from there, try to devise policy action or actual branding for the neighborhood, um, just to make sure that it can compete. And speaking more to to the earlier points of how neighborhoods are in competition, place identity, I feel, is connected directly to. Uh, the ability for neighborhoods to excel and achieve competitive advantage. Um, that's a reason why places like New York, London, Milan, and, and other uh, cities of that of that strata would probably never become obsolete. Would probably never have this problem of oh, we're trying to compete or we're trying to you know attract investments. You know, because they have 
uh, such huge identities and people know them for particular things and um, that's why they, they'll probably never have that problem but for other you know turn it to the neighborhood scale there are neighborhoods that are still struggling to define that that, uh, that identity and that's why it'll be hard for for those neighborhoods to be able to compete if they if they do not sort of hone in on certain identities and you know have uh, certain elements attributed to them that are unique. So yeah, that's that's some that's definitely uh, a huge part of what we do in terms of taking the pulse of the neighborhood. Uh, and I, I would found that that is one of the hugest value adds for uh, place managers in terms of just defining the the economic um, ability of their neighborhoods to to perform and to compete in in international and local markets. So it sounds like when you talk about these problems and these solutions that you've developed, it really sounds like, or I should say, it feels like that this probably wasn't possible, let's say, 10 years ago for, for various different reasons. Now it is possible. Now we have these solutions in place. We have these possibilities you know, to, to monitor, to be proactive, and to brand. Um, what, what does the future look like for, for this kind of analysis? Yeah, Um and you're totally, totally right. Um, the future, that's, uh, I love it when people ask about the future, because uh, I'm always thinking about, uh, you know, you know, application in the future. Uh, first of all, I think we spoke a little bit, a little bit about the, the application in the future in terms of being proactive. Uh, so we've gotten to a stage where we don't necessarily need to carry out the surveys or the studies for for five, 10 years to figure out how many people use an intersection or do people drive more when they're closer to a metro station? And these are just examples. But the approach, the traditional approach has been to, you know, survey for a long time. So you get a sample size that you can now uh, confidently base recommendations on. Um, same approach is what we sort of go by. But the fact that we are able to just analyze a larger uh, sample size speeds up the process and we're able to pinpoint problems, pinpoint areas of interest and sort of device, you know, start the process of devising solutions to these problems. And at the end of the day, of course, studies might still take, you know, five, 10 years. Um, but the fact is that it's it's more like a, you're a census of, of today because in relation to our approach, the fact is that cities are becoming more populated than ever before. For the first time in, in in man's history, more people currently live in cities than ever before. More than half of the world's or half of the world's population, and the UN uh, forecasts that that would go even rise uh, above, you know, beyond half in the next uh, in the next few years. So we have an, uh, a situation on our hands where people are constantly moving to cities. That is why the, the approach has to sort of match that, that level of, uh, of population growth in cities. So for, for, future, uh, for future analysis, the fact that city, the city population is rising demands tools uh, that are able to catch up with the changes. And I feel that finding ways to analyze uh, urban problems quicker and uh, prefer solutions that are spot on would be uh, sort of the direction uh, at least me and my team will be going for for the foreseeable future. 
And in addition to that, there's this need to also communicate your findings to the public, or at least first of all, get them on board in terms of making them understand what you know what the approach is and what you're trying to what you're trying to achieve. Because also, and uh, we should talk about this too in, in relation to the the analysis of uh, you know post and what people publicly post. There's also the 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 question of privacy. You know, how far do you go? For us, we don't necessarily. Uh, we don't have information about, you know, who these people are. You know, we don't, we, we try to draw the line in terms of still keeping uh, the people's privacy, privacy, keeping them anonymous, but at the same time, making sure we get the elements that they contribute to the urban realm, elements that would help actually augmenting their experience in space and increasing quality of life. Uh, so, but I feel it's essential to communicate that fact to people. In addition to the privacy uh, aspects, just the communication of, of you know your your findings in general uh, is very essential. Communicating those findings in a way that people can easily understand, people can process, and people can be sort of uh, intrigued uh, about is very essential. And that's what that's when cartography side of things comes in. That's when the you know the 3D mapping. I feel is is something that I found uh, very interesting in the in the in, uh, in the recent few days, a few few months. Um, and I think just finding new ways to uh, refine the visualizations of analysis of processes and sort of communicate um, those elements in a very interactive way would play a, a, a monumental aspect of, um, you know, future analysis and future processes. Um, I'm just going to try and summarize just quickly here for, for the listeners, because you've said a lot of really good, really good things there. Um, and so often, and this is often the case when, when I ask people, what's the future look like? I might need to work on my questions <laughs> a little bit and sort of narrow them down. But um, it, it's often the case that the future, especially in terms of geospatial, is, is more and faster. And that, that's what I heard you say. Uh, we're going to have more data and we're going to be able to do things faster. So things will be more sort of passive, I would imagine. I could imagine the, the system just sort of running in the background and having some kind of dashboard where I log in each day and just sort of take the pulse of a city in the future. That, that would be an interesting, an interesting scenario for me anyway. Uh, you also mentioned privacy, and I think that's really important because people aren't necessarily posting these things on the internet. To, to have them used in any other way than just, you know, as, as a message to, to their friends. So that's going to be a huge issue in the future, I think, privacy and defining where the, the boundaries of that, what is private, what, what is public. But I think the, the most important thing for me that you said in all that was that communication because we've talked about, we've talked about the whole sort of uh, process. We've talked about how we get the data, how we filter the data, what problems we solve with it. But until now, anyway, we haven't touched on the fact that, that these results need to be communicated out to the public. And I really feel sometimes that uh, we in the ge geospatial industry, at least I've definitely been guilty of this, is that we, we fall in love with, with, the, with the media instead of the message. You know, and for me, that means I'm all about the shiny stuff. How do I do this? How do I solve the problem? What kind of tools can I link together to do this? And then I forget that, oh, well, I'm only doing this because the message is to get it out to the people, you know, that that's the mission of this whole thing. And sometimes I drop the ball there. And I think probably a lot of other people are in the same case. We need to remember that these ideas have to get out to, out to 
the public, our public, in a way that they can understand them. One hundred percent. I mean, and it's so the 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 problem I try to solve, or we try to solve most times, and we always sort of check ourselves. And you're definitely right. It's easy for you to just you know be so engrossed in the analysis and you know tying data sets together um, that you forget that okay, I'm actually supposed to you know communicate this to people, uh, make people understand, because not everyone is a you know, geospatial uh, analyst or not everyone understands uh, geoprocessing to, to the to certain levels. So the challenge is always the communication. And, uh, and a, a good example is the fact that people don't like to look at spreadsheets. Uh, for me, I mean, for me, I lose interest personally when, you know, someone is given a uh, a talk and pulls up a spreadsheet and shows me a data set of you know a thousand columns. Uh, the mind, the brain switches off, which is one of the problems that you know mapping can solve. A map can tell you, you know, a million stories just in in one in one view. You can you can you know you can pinpoint um, certain elements or certain messages that are being communicated. Um, and the funny thing is that, or the good thing is that you can always come back to it. You look at it again, it gives you a different message this time, or you use it as a tool to run through analysis or, you know, whatever other level of analysis that, you know, the, the audience might, might be attached to. So I, I feel that communication, of course, is, is very essential. And I mean, our work also is a pop the public has. Uh, a certain role to play if you know if those comments were not being dropped uh, on on public platforms um, there'll be an aspect of the analysis missing um, so in the future looking into the future of course de- devising ways that brings the public further in uh, to the discussion particularly in terms of interactive mapping um, so you see cases where you actually allow the public um, define their, their experience by giving them more power to whatever switch layers on and off or, you know, zoom in and out or just, you know, play with it. I think that that level of interaction is essential to foster that public input in, in analysis. And looking into the future, I really see, I see us sort of honing in on that aspect and going past just interactive maps and and making sort of the public own the discourse and actually go further and maybe even map out areas themselves or say, oh, this is an this is an area you should be interested in, or you know, drawing their own points because uh, at uh, at the moment we're using Google, right, which has the predefined points and locations, and that's where we draw data from. Or imagine a situation where people can actually you know drop a point in a certain location and say. This intersection is, is horrible. Someone has to take a look at it. Or, you know, whatever the case may be, just taking the same approach of public interaction uh, with the built environment or participatory planning, but just at, at a more detailed scale, a more intimate level. And I think, I think that's, those are the opportunities that this approach and this new technology uh, presents for the future. Definitely. And I think once again, you highlighted some really important things there. And I personally can see a 
that the role of a geospatial communi- communicator, I guess you could call them, for for want of you know for for lack of a better title, and cartographers in general, they have a huge role to play in all this in terms of getting information out to the right people and presenting it in a way that people can understand it easily. Um, Femi, I really want to thank you for coming along today and giving us this insight into your work and what you see as the future of of this process and the future of geospatial in terms of the urban environment and, and the way we interact in it. But before I let you go, I just want to know, is where, where can we go to follow along with you and, and your work? Oh, by all means, thanks for thanks for having me. Um, I think the website will be the, uh, uh, the best place to go and I also have a, a, a social media account so the, the website the, of, of my organization it's ct78.org um, there we have you know general synopsis of uh, what we do projects we've worked on and things coming in the future in addition to that I have my personal uh, Twitter page where I post uh, interesting stuff so it's it's a D E L A K U N A O. Um, that's that's my Twitter handle, and you know we could have discussions there. I'm I'm, I'm very open to discussions about city planning and and, and you know mapping and, and cartography. So uh, feel free to follow me and and engage in those discussions. Femi, thanks again for for coming along today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was uh, this was a nice conversation, very high level. I enjoy such conversations. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would share this podcast with a friend. As always, you are also more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. That's at Mapscaping on Facebook and Twitter and Map underscore View on Instagram. I would really like to hear from you. Thanks very much. See you next week. Bye.